The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. All right. Well, I'm Tyler, and I am not one of your pastors here at Artisan Church, but I have the microphone, so <laughs> it's just about the same thing. There's it's a slight difference in the degree that you don't know that I have. So anyway. Uh, so tonight, we're going to be finishing up a series that we started uh, two weeks ago, three, two, something like that. Some weeks ago, we started a series. And uh, it has to do with our mission statement here at Artisan, which is to encounter God, to embrace people, to engage culture in the way of Jesus. And they all start with E, so I get them mixed up sometimes. That's why I slowed down there. Anyway, uh, so the first week, we did a great immersed service encountering God, and, and people encountered God, or they told us they did anyway. And last week, Jason talked, and he, uh, he talked about Paul in... Um, in Acts 17, meeting with some Stoic and some Epicurean philosophers in the Areopagus in, uh, in um, where was that again? Was it Rome, Athens? It's one of those cities um, from a long time ago. Anyway, um, so that's what we talked about last week, sort of the embracing people aspect. And this week we're going to go on and we're going to talk about engaging culture. And... What we want to do is recognize that engaging culture and embracing people and encountering God, actually all of these things are not that separate. They're, they're pretty intertwined, and, uh, and you can't really take them all apart and, and just say, oh, now we're going to do this bit, and then next week we'll do the next bit, even though we took them apart and said that very thing. Um, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about engaging culture, and... Um, we are going to get to the in the way of Jesus part, but first, we're going to engage culture. We're going to do it in the way of Oprah. Yes, I know some of you are very excited about that. Okay, um, Tom Cruise is running a little late. He's going to be here later to jump on the couches. So, um, No, but in, in the way of Oprah. So, look into your hearts and under your chairs. Because some of you are getting free bumper stickers. Okay, but seriously, there's bumper stickers under your chairs, so take a look and you might find some. Hey, Avila got one. If you get one, hold it up. Proud. And if you don't find one, check some of the seats around you because there might be one there. Jaron has a fake bumper sticker that he just made up. <laughs> Was that taped under there? Okay, like, what is it? Oh, so that's good. <laughs> Does it say something about not removing that? Oh, that's just mattresses. Okay, so we got a few. Can, we, can I see those again? We got, oh, good. We got some good ones. Oh, all right. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and I'm going to have you read some of these bumper stickers. These bumper stickers really are a great way to, um, to, to engage culture through passively driving your car around. Okay, we have evolution when scientists, in quotes made monkeys of themselves. Oh, 
That's good. Yeah. Do you want to read the bumper sticker now? <laughs> That's a joke for the people who are listening on the podcast. Um, they, did, they don't know that she actually read it because they can't see it. Sorry. Sorry, people on the podcast. Everybody wait for the people on the podcast. Yeah. You guys probably feel pretty silly, but uh, believe me, the people who are listening to the podcast who wave back, they're the ones. All right. Who else wants to read? Heidi's going to read one. Oh, did you get the good one? Oh, you got the good one. You have to say who said it, too. Hold fast to the Bible as the anchor of your liberties. President Ulysses S. Grant. All right. Good job, President Grant. Uh, who else? Oh, we got one back here. This is good. A life without Jesus is a dead-end street. Oh. Yeah, I don't want to see that on a car. That's creepy. Stuart, do you got one you want to read? or? Jesus dies for you. Will you live for him? All right. All right, and we had a couple over here. Let's get a couple of these. Bryn, all right. You ready? You ready for this? Oh, you got a, you got a good one. Ready? Go for it. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince you? Oh, that's, that's right, because of the jury of your peers in heaven. You ready? I think you got the last one. So, When prayer was heard in public schools, they didn't hear gunshots. Oh, wow. That's intense. So obviously, our, our only duty as Christians, in terms of engaging culture, is to slap a piece of, I assume it's vinyl or something, uh, with an adhesive on one side to our motor vehicle which clearly works in all cultures at all times, or only in ones that have a large proliferation of motor vehicles, such as ours. So interesting that you don't get away with not engaging culture. There's nobody who doesn't engage culture. And, and anybody who tells you that is, is bullshitting you, because that's just, you can't do that. Um, it, you know, they kind of convince themselves in their brains that they, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't engage culture, except they tell you in English, which is clearly a language, and they, they probably tell you while wearing clothes of a certain kind, which only certain cultures on earth at a given time wear. So, you know, interesting perspectives there. I want to go ahead and, and kind of do a quick case study, and, um, and hopefully it won't take too long. We're going to talk about the song, um, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, by U2. And I'm not going to play the song, because that, that'll take extra time. Um, also, we don't have it queued up. So, you go, you go home and get on iTunes later if you don't have it. It's a good song. Anyway, so this song, when it was released, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Good. Okay, yeah, awesome. We all love that song. Uh, except some people really didn't love that song at the time. Because they thought, you too. Oh, that's awesome. They're this great, they're this great Christian band. Oh, except they haven't found what they're looking for. So clearly, they, they're not Christian because they haven't found Jesus. And so then they created contemporary Christian music because they were sick of that. That's not the only reason, but seriously, that's the reason. Don't, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But I want to use that song as, a, as an example of ways different people have, have engaged culture. Now, when I, when I talk about engaging culture, I don't want to talk about um, necessarily the embracing people aspect of that. Obviously, it happens, and it, it, it's just going to happen, and it has to happen. 
but I, I want to just kind of not lean on that side as heavily. So some people, when they saw this, this song, this piece of art, this piece of music, uh, when they saw it, when they heard it, unless they have synesthesia. Anyway, no? Not doing synesthesia jokes tonight? Okay. Never do that one again. Uh, now, some people, when they heard that song, attacked you too. And they said, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's bad. You're giving in to, to the culture or you're part of the culture or we reject that. It was very, this, this very aggressive sort of approach. They were against, they were Christians against culture. Some people said, oh, that's, that's nice, guys. I, we get that you're trying real hard. I mean, once you find Jesus, come talk to us. Then, you know, you'll know what's going on. Um, and those people, you know, sort of this condescending, Christ above culture. Culture is kind of down here, and, well, we'll use it as a vehicle. You know, we'll, we'll take, you know, rock music, and we'll, we'll put some Christian-ish words in there, and we'll play it for you again, and that will be, yeah, you know, that's as close as we need to get to culture, clearly. Because really the message is the important part, not the art form itself. So that's, that's sort of Christ above culture. And I'm giving you some different models. Um, and I'm rattling them off real quick. Don't worry about that. We'll get to a discussion later. And it'll be great. Because um, you guys will probably start to think about some of these. Um, or you'll have experienced them already as, as you go along. But there are a couple other examples of, of how people relate to, um, to culture in general. And some people might say of the U2 song, well, that's great. It doesn't apply to me because I found what I'm looking for, clearly. But, you know, some people, eh, they haven't found that. So that's good. That, that message is over there, and, and I'm over here, and I'm in this world, and they're in that world. And, and those worlds don't, don't really line up, so I, I probably just won't listen to that music anymore or, or at all. And that might be this idea of Christ and culture both existing but in paradox, not really any relationship there. They're always kind of moving past each other. And we might have people who say, well, still not found what I'm looking for. That's, that's lovely. That's spiritual. And, and that's, you know, that's just their, their expression of that. And, uh, you know, and Jesus had his expression of that. And, and some Christians have their expression of that. You know, but really it's just one overall thing. And I don't want to put a name on it. And you know, if you believe something in, in your mind, the universe will make it for you. Because it's, a, again, a gadget culture in the way of Oprah. Make it, oh, I'm harsh on Oprah tonight. Uh, and I keep looking at this like there's notes on it, but really it's just the song they were just singing. Anyway, forget that. <laughs> so the final way that we might uh, talk about engaging culture is going to be talking about engaging culture um, in the model of Christ with culture in covenant. And this is a little different. This might be someone who says, oh, you 2 has put out this song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I listen to, I hear the bass, and I hear the, um, you know, the rhythm there, and I hear you know, this crazy thing that the edge has done with the guitar, and I like that. And, you know, and these lyrics are really, um, they're well-crafted. And, and this is a good song. And, and I understand the sentiment. You know, I understand what the lyrics are saying. And, and I've, well, I don't know if I've felt like that, but I think I know some people who have felt like that. And, and I wonder if they appreciate this song as well. And I wonder if we can, we can just talk about that song. We don't even have to talk about 
the message of the song. You know, maybe it'll come to that. I don't know. But maybe we can sit down. I can sit down with, with that other person who, who maybe feels that or, or who doesn't feel that, but I feel it. You know, I don't know. And we're going to have a conversation and we're going to interrelate and, and be involved in each other's lives. And, and we're going to grapple with some of these issues. And I don't want to say it's a complex issue, but I will say it's a complex of issues related to engaging culture. And I know that I kind of burned through that, but I want to make sure we have time for discussion later. I do want to make mention of one more thing, which is the call to worship that Anna read, uh, which was, again, Isaiah 61 through 13. And in that passage, uh, it sort of talks about all these different nations, all these different cultures coming into Jerusalem and, and all joining together and being invited specifically by God because these different cultures were, simply were obedient. They didn't need to be a particular culture as in they didn't have to be Israelites to, to come in. They were just welcomed. And all the things that came with them were welcomed. So their kings were welcomed, and their, their cedars and their craftsmanship and from Lebanon, and the ships from Tarshish, which is a phrase that you always sound drunk when you say. Ships of Tarshish. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> that got better laughs tonight than it did in the morning, I think. I did do a follow-up joke in the morning. Anyway. But all these different aspects of the cultures who were coming into Jerusalem were also welcomed into Jerusalem. And, and they weren't sinful, and they weren't unholy. And they, they were simply brought in and added to what was there already, I guess. It doesn't really talk about what happens afterward. But I just want to make mention of that because that's where we get the in the way of Jesus part. And I think where I come around on this is that I sometimes find myself engaging culture in all these various ways. Sometimes I think I'm above culture. Sometimes, you know, I'm not relating to it this way or that way. And it becomes very complicated. And um, then I go to sleep and try to clear my head. Um, but I think that's the ideal way, is to engage culture in covenant. And uh, so Anna is going to come up later, and she's, or in, a, in just a minute, and she's going to talk about um, some specific examples of ways that people have or have not, uh, Christians have or have not engaged culture, and how culture has sort of responded to Christians. And then we're going to have you guys do a discussion. Um, and after the discussion, we'll kind of come back and we'll, we'll do a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you a quick bibliography of some books um, that you can you look up and read after, um, you know, obviously not right now, unless we've got iPhones, you can do it on the sly. Um, but yeah, anyway, Anna's going to come up. You ready? All right. There we go. I do need the stand. <laughs> so Tyler gave a a really good kind of presentation of what it looks like for the church to engage or perhaps disengage with culture. And I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about what that means for us as individuals to engage culture. And like Tyler said before too, there's a little bit of kind of an overlap between the idea of engaging culture and embracing people. 
But I think when we look at this, we find that when we're actively engaging culture as individuals, embracing people just comes naturally. And everybody, in turn, is encountering God. So how do we do that in the way of Jesus? Um, if you've seen me speak here before, you know that I like talking about my dad. And uh, so I want to give an example uh, from something I remember, um, an experience I remember with him. I was probably, I was young, younger, I'm young still, <laughs> but I was younger than I am now. Um, not maybe just on my way, starting to find my way back towards Christianity. And um, like, like many other nights, this particular Saturday night, I was at a bar and uh, my dad showed up. And it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was a small town bar. There was kind of some townies, and also it was close to RIT, so there was some RIT students. But it was a pretty small group. It was a small place, so everybody was kind of interacting with everybody. And um, my dad showed up, didn't just, hey, how's it going, ordered a beer, came down, and started playing pool. And proceeded to run the pool table for most of the night. Now, my dad was a pastor. He'd been a pastor for a long time. And most of the people there wouldn't know that. You certainly wouldn't think that. Um, but the idea that not only how is this engaging culture, he didn't come in with a bumper sticker <laughs> on his forehead saying, I'm a pastor. He didn't come in to preach. He didn't come in to say who he was or what he did. He just came in to be with people, mostly to be with me. <laughs> but the funny thing was, was that it kind of, when he was leaving, he had said something like, all right, I got to go, you know, I, I got church in the morning. And just, you know, left. And, and so somebody said, oh, what, is your dad like religious or something? Well, yeah, he's a pastor. And then just the looks, <laughs> just watching those walls being torn down by the fact that some guy came in, didn't preach at them, didn't, you know, tell them what they were doing was wrong, but just came in to just hang out and walk with them and kick their butts at pool. <laughs> you know, this, it was just really, and, and there was, you know, I, there could be some pushback on that and that, well, how was that really engaging if he wasn't delivering a message, if he wasn't saying who he was or what he was doing there? But to me, the message was so much more profound that he was just engaging. <laughs> and then to see those walls get broken down by people that otherwise would have very different conceptions of what a pastor would be, in, especially in an environment like a bar. And, and I know that that actually, that impacted some people. I mean, it, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, any sort of people dropping to their knees or anything, but there was a seed planted there, and there was just something that moved people in that experience. And another example I want to give this will not be on the bibliography because I decided to read it at one o'clock this morning <laughs> um, is from the book Blue Like Jazz and it's, it's a couple pages so get comfortable and just listen we're going to be, like I said, I'm kind of um, we're trying to frame this in a way that is kind of triggering enough in all of us to think so that we can get together in smaller groups and discuss what all of this means to the church, to artisan, to us as individuals. So the idea is basically there was this group of Christians on a college campus that decided to set up and actually built 
a confession booth in the middle of campus during like frat weekend or something like that, the biggest party weekend of the entire year. <clears throat> the party goes till nearly dawn. So though it was late, we started working the booth. We lit tiki torches and mounted them in the ground just outside the booth. Tony and Ivan were saying that I should go first, which I didn't want to do, but I played bold and got in the booth. I sat on a bucket and watched the ceiling and the smoke from my pipe gather in the dark corners like ghosts. I could hear the rave happening in the student center across campus. I was picturing all the cool dancers, the girls in white shirts moving through the black light, the guys with the turntables in the loft, the big screen with the swirling images and all that energy coming out of the speakers, pounding through everybody's bodies, getting everybody up and down, up and down. Nobody is going to confess anything, I thought. Who wants to stop dancing to confess their sins? And I realized that this was a bad idea, that none of this was God's idea. Nobody was going to get angry, but nobody was going to care very much either. There is nothing relevant about Christian spirituality, I kept thinking. God, if he is even there, has no voice in this place. Everybody wants to have a conversation about truth, but there isn't any truth anymore. The only truth is what is cool, what is on television, what protest is going on, on what block. And it doesn't matter the issue, it only matters who is going to be there, and will there be a party later? And can any of us feel like we are relevant while we are at that party? And in the middle of it, we are like Mormons on bikes. I sat there wondering whether any of this was true, whether Christian spirituality was even true at all. You never question the truth of something until you have to explain it to a skeptic. I didn't feel like explaining it very much. I didn't feel like being in the booth or wearing that stupid monk outfit. I wanted to go to the rave. Everybody in there was cool, and we were just religious. I was going to tell Tony that I didn't want to do it when he opened the curtain and said we had our first customer. What's up, man? Duder, Duder sat himself on the chair with a smile on his face. He told me my pipe smelled good. Thanks, I said. I asked him his name, and he said his name was Jake. I shook his hand because I didn't know what to do, really. So what is this? I'm supposed to tell you all of the juicy gossip I did at Ren Fair, right? Jake said. No. Okay, then what? What's the game? He asked. Not really a game, more of a confession thing. You want me to confess my sins, right? No, that's not what we're doing, really. Well, what's the deal, man? What's with the monk outfit? Well, we are, well, a group of Christians here on campus, you know. I see. Strange place for Christians, but I'm listening. Thanks, I told him. He was being very patient and gracious. Anywhere, there, anyway, there is this group of us, just a few of us who are thinking about the way Christians have sort of wronged people over time. You know, the crusades and all that stuff. Well, I doubt you personally were involved in any of that. No, I wasn't, I told him. But the thing is, we are followers of Jesus. We believe that he is God and all, and he represented certain ideas that we have sort of not done a good job at representing. He has asked us to re represent him well, but it can be very hard. I see, Jake said. So there's this group of us on campus who wanted to confess to you. You're confessing to me? Jake said with a laugh. Yeah, we're confessing to you. I mean, I am confessing to you. You're serious. He, his laugh turned to something of a straight face. I told him I was. He looked at me and told me I didn't have to. I told him I did, and I felt very strongly in that moment that I was supposed to tell Jake that I was sorry about everything. What are you confessing, he asked. I shook my head and looked at the ground. Everything, I told him. Explain, he said. There's a lot. I'll keep it short, I started. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. 
I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. You know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics. I grew up doing that. It got in the way of the central message of Christ. I know that was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me who know him carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message Christ wanted to get across. There's a lot more, you know. It's all right, man, Jake said very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry for all of that. I forgive you, Jake said, and he meant it. He sat there and looked at the floor, then into the fire of a candle. It's really cool what you guys are doing, he said. A lot of people need to hear this. Have we hurt a lot of people? I asked him. You haven't hurt me. I just think it isn't very popular to be a Christian, you know, especially at a place like this. I don't think too many people have been hurt. Most people just have a strong reaction to what they see on television. All these well-dressed preachers supporting the Republicans. That's not the whole picture, I said. That's just television. I have friends who are giving their lives to feed the poor and defend the defenseless. They're doing it for Christ. You really believe in Jesus, don't you? He asked me. Yes, I think I do. Most often I do. I have doubts at times, but mostly I believe in him. It's like there is something in me that causes me to believe, and I can't explain it. Okay, that was long. (laughs) But hopefully it did kind of just give what I think is a really good example of what it means to not only, I mean, these guys went to the heart of a specific part of our culture and just made themselves accountable and what that means to actually have other people outside of the church walls see more than what all these kind of preconceptions that other people have. Because there's, it's one thing to kind of understand or to kind of say, all right, we can engage culture from this level, but it's another thing to be right where it is and to, you know, we can't begin to address this until we actually understand how we're seen, how people understand us, and to meet them where they are. And so we're going to go into a time of discussion, and, um, and hopefully we've at least done some of our job in getting some of these thoughts to get get us all to be thinking about how we can start responding to these issues. Um, It seems as though these individual encounters, you know, not people speaking in front of crowds and crowds and on TV or on the internet or whatever it is, it's these one-on-one individual encounters that are people just engaging culture as representatives of the body of Christ that make these meaningful and profound changes happen interpersonally too. So why don't we do three groups? We can just kind of turn our chairs or turn and face each other. And we're also going to have the kids, um, you guys, (laughs) and Gavin and Troy and Kara, I think, is here too. Any of the kids want to go into the back, into the foyer area? You guys are going to have your own group and discuss some of these questions too, okay? So... Um, why don't you stay, stay here while we bring the questions up, and then everybody can kind of move to their spots, and then we'll come back and have some kind of corporate discussion time at the end. So the first question, thank you, <laughs> are, is what are some positive ways that the church engages culture? And when we address these questions, we'll, we'll, be, we'll get more specific to artisan in a bit, but we're going to talk about kind of the church 
in general. So, and if we want to start, you know, this is, this is the mature service. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But if we want to start kind of tackling some of these bigger issues, some of these maybe more complex, more adult-level issues, how does the church view culture in their attitude towards sex, towards lifestyle, so towards music and art and film and all these types of things. How does the church positively engage in culture with regards to some of these issues? Anything else, Tyler? Should we, is that good? Okay. All right, so go ahead and start kind of just turning yourselves around so that we're, this section will be a group, this section will be a group, this section will be a group. Kids will be a group. Okay? Okay, whoever's talking now can finish, but we're going to go ahead and put up the second question. If you're really into a conversation right now, feel free to keep talking about it, but if you're ready to move on, the next question being, what are some negative ways that the church engages culture? Okay. Sorry to interrupt, because I know I'm interrupting people. Third and final question is, what ways does or should artisan engage culture? And, and think back to some of those kind of those topics that I brought up before, some of these more really tough topics to tackle when it comes to church and when it comes to culture, let alone church engaging in culture with those topics. So, and we'll have a few more minutes and we'll come back to discuss. All right, guys, um, we're going to kind of bring this back together. Um, you don't have to turn your chairs around yet, um, but I'd like to get some thoughts that you guys had from the different groups. Anna's going to have the handheld here, so she'll bring that around. Um, and just any of the questions, you heard somebody say something um, interesting, you guys came up with an interesting topic. Um, Bryn is ready to go, apparently. Hey, you got an apple. Good for you. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and, and do that. It sounds like a sentence is being finished over there, so I don't know if you guys want to just say that one out loud or we want to start somewhere else. If you don't share anything, Anna's just going to put the microphone in your face. I will. <laughs> oh, too late. <laughs> Should come back. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine shared with me one time something that was pretty profound in, in terms of how I came to view culture. Um, and it, it had to do with the context of, you know, should we send our kids or, you know, homeschool our kids versus send them to public school, I think it was. Um, and he said, you know, righteousness is more powerful than darkness. And you have to believe that and have the faith. And if you don't believe that, you're going to be afraid and you're going to, you know, be scared of your kids getting corrupted or whatever. But um, I ended up sending my kids to public school and I can testify that righteousness is stronger than the darkness. And, you know, they're walking with God and they have a really good balance in terms of how they relate to other people. They've never been isolated. Thank you. Other thoughts? I think someone over here had one. <laughs> I'll sit down. Um, oh, we had a, a conversation when we were talking about the negative aspects of engaging culture and uh, sort of trying to, and we just basically went around and said we didn't really know what culture we were negatively acting against and we didn't really know how to define the church and how 
sometimes in our heads, we immediately go to a, a sort of stereotyped church that maybe not many people actually are a part of, uh, but we kind of stereotype this certain aspect of a affluent North American Christian in a you know, mega church that follows a very specific political guidelines that everybody kind of feels like that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's kind of what we were trying to say was that when we talk about the negative ways, kind of trying to parse out what, what's what the church as sort of Christians are doing wrong or what's as far as church as individual organizations might be going wrong and trying to not associate one with the other and sort of bash one thing when they're not really representing me they're not really representing the church as a whole, even though they may have a very public voice. And we can kind of say that the KKK had a very strong Christian message, in a sense, or, but we forget the fact that they're not really representing the church. And we forget the powerful thing that the church is doing in other countries, the rise of the South American church, and as far as what they're doing, influencing people for Christ or Africa or the underground China church, and things that are very powerful things, and we tend to just bash anything that's Christian from 1940 on as being ineffective. Interesting. So you guys essentially identified an enculturated stereotype about the church. <laughs> Good. Okay. That was, that was the one that I was basing all my assumptions on. So. <laughs> How about any- if you guys were smart like the kids, you only talked about the, the questions when Anna came to listen to you. So They would just start saying culture and church. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you guys are talking about some things, Brent. No? Okay, anybody? Okay, anybody else? I, saw, I heard some interesting stuff from each group. I did. Not from you guys. I didn't come. I didn't come listen to you guys. Anna said she did. So, um, I something that I heard uh, a, a couple different times um, from people in different groups here, and also in the morning, um, was something uh, related to this idea that that there's the means that something is expressed. So the the art form. Maybe it's a painting, maybe it's a song, um, maybe it's a, an, an attitude or a particular way of speaking or thinking. Um, that's, a, that's a cultural thing. And then there's a message. And, and some people were wrestling with the relationship between the, the message and the, the, the media. And not, not the media, CNN, those guys. Media... There's multiple medium. Anyway, I made that explanation way more complicated than it needed to be. But, um, so, so what do you, how do you guys relate those things? How do you grapple with that? Mike, did you have a thought on that? Uh, you raise your hand, so you have to say something now. Well, somewhat related. Somewhat related. We, we, were, we only had a, a second or two to hit that third question. What does artisan do or should do to engage culture? And I think one of the things that Artisan does as a group rather well is, is I'm going to use negatives, 
that we are not afraid to allow sex, secular, sexual, secular art, secular... Um, Next week is Dirty Limericks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you were close. That, that we're, not, we're, not afraid, we're not afraid of, of secular things here. That, that we often will have um, non-Christian art, like all of the mu- almost all of the music, or all of the music this uh, evening. Almost all, yeah. Is, is they're all written by secular artists. And they're all related to some aspect of spirituality of connecting with, even if they don't know what they're connecting with, they're connecting with something. And one of the ways that artisan does engage culture is to, is to allow ourselves to re-ask those questions, to, to learn the language that everyone else is speaking except for us, <laughs> you know? And to not assume that we're speaking the language that everyone else should be speaking. Some other thoughts? Someone from the middle, you guys haven't said anything yet. No? (laughs) Okay, we we talked about... I talked about, but anyway... (laughs) Um, we, we talked about um, sort of historically the, the things that the church, the church has done for people. I mean, the benefits generally come from like a few individuals in, in the church who are, you know, who see a need in society. Like the Misericordia Sisters in the Catholic Church. Over 100 years ago, they saw that there were a lot of pregnant teenage girls who didn't have health insurance. They weren't even allowed in hospitals. And so basically so that these young women could, um, could be taken care of and they wouldn't, you know, have to give birth in filthy back alleys. They created housing for these young women. And um, even though um, I guess the Pharisees of the time, like 100, 200 years ago, um, said that these young women had sinned and therefore, you know, they, they should be treated like filthy pigs and, and not have access to decent medical care, um, these, these few sisters um, subjected themselves to persecution by... Um, saying, well, we, we can't tolerate this. I mean, let it, sort of a let it start with me kind of situation. And they created um, the Misericordia House, and they were called, um, I forget if you look it up online. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the activity in, in the churches starts with probably like a couple of individuals. I mean, now we look at a lot of the, the hospitals, you know, St. Mary, St. this person, and St. that person. Um, I saw an interview of, of a a clergyman by uh, someone on MSNBC. We just talked about the cable news channels, and he said, "You know, he said, well, how do you feel about how do you feel about you know today's healthcare, the, the you know today's healthcare system, and and in in light of Matthew 25, and you know, are we, you know, are we are we not doing you know?" And, and the clergyman um, said, uh, "Well, you know, yeah, yeah, we should be taking care of the needs of the poor, and and that you know that falls in the neighbor, you know, we should be." taking care of the needs of our neighbors, but, you know, government is another story, and then a little later in the interview, he said, well, you can't wrap scripture around something, you know, some idea that you want to sell like silly putty, and I was just kind of thinking, no, I can't, but you can, because you're a clergyman, and so therefore you're licensed to do whatever you want with scripture, and that includes misinterpreting it, and flinging it all over (laughs) the place, and dragging it through. So anyway, um... Make sure you guys write that in your job description. (laughs) So, so, but this guy is on TV saying that, that you know, that, well, there's this division of church and state, and therefore, you know, since we have nothing to do with the government, and, and it, but that's not really true. I mean, it's, it's 
kind of the church's responsibility to, you know, where we see a need and we see an effective leadership, you know, we sort of step in. I mean, it's just something that even if the church doesn't do it as a church, and individuals that are members of the church do it in the service of Christ. Good. Because, anyway. Yeah. I, I'm going to cut you off because we're running really, really short on time. Um, but I, I, I like where you're getting at, and I think you guys are touching on this too. This idea that, that merely saying the church is not quite enough because there, there are members of the church probably engaging culture from about eight different angles. And there are some who are accepting a cultural idea that these women are, you know, need to be just sort of cast out. And there are others who are saying that cultural idea has to go. And we're going to make a new one. You know, and there are some people who, there's a story over here, who moved uh, an hour away and drove their kids to school and didn't let them hang out with anybody because they didn't want to engage culture at all. You know, and there are people who send their kids to public school because they, they decided that, that they ought to do that. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And I think we uh, touched on a lot of good stuff tonight. Again, this is not... This is not merely a complex issue, but a complex of issues. There's a whole lot of stuff that's going on here. Um, I definitely think, you know, continue these conversations with each other. Um, I'm more than happy to talk to you guys after um, service. Um, but if we can get the bibliography thrown up here really quick, I'll mention that and we'll uh, move on. Um, a few books here. The, um, the, the sort of models for engaging culture that I was mentioning are in the first one, Christ and Culture by uh, Richard Niebuhr, not Reinhold Niebuhr, different Niebuhr. I know you guys were confusing those. So, um, The next one, uh, the Romanovsky, uh, Eyes Wide Open, Looking for God in Popular Culture. Really great read, really short, quick, easy to do. There's an, an actually a fascinating analysis of the movie Titanic. It made the movie Titanic interesting to me. And that's how good it was. Um, <laughs> that's right. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> not that kind of analysis. That's different. But anyway, really good book about engaging culture. Obviously a Kubrick reference in the title there. Um, and then the last one, uh, Brian Walsh and Richard Middleton. Uh, Richard Middleton's actually a professor out at Roberts Wesleyan. Um, the Transforming Vision, Shaping a Christian Worldview. This is actually their, um, their doctoral thesis work that was this book. Um, but... It well, kind of brings a lot of the stuff all together, mentions some different, um, talks about culture as worldview and, and the questions that are related to that and how those uh, sort of get answered or, or get ignored or get resolved or whatever. Um, and do you want me to? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and so there's the bibliography. Um, Blue Like Jazz by Don Miller is the other one. Um, yep. And that's not up there, but now you know what it is. Go for okay. It. So now we're going to kind of try and transition <laughs> into uh, a time of response. And we'll start by going to table and sit down now. Sorry. Um, and I guess a, a good way to kind of find this transition from where we've gone, we've, we've kind of tried to just really not so much tackle these issues as we have just become aware of the complexity of these issues. Um, so, and a really good example, I mean, I gave you two examples earlier of individuals engaging culture as representatives of the body of Christ. Um, but we actually have the example of the body of Christ being here engaging culture 
in allowing us to really see an example of what it is, what it was like for God to actually say, I want to understand you so much and understand your culture, your emotions, everything that you're dealing with. I'm going to come right down there and be with you and walk with you physically. So let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of remember that as we're transitioning from this kind of overwhelming <laughs> sense of the, the issues that we face, especially today as a, as a church and as individuals, as believers in engaging culture, and look to this example. So when you're ready, um, we'll just, you know, have some time to reflect. We'll um, continue with some music and um, go up to the table. You can dip the bread in the wine or the juice, and we'll continue to worship from there. So let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this, the opportunity that we've had to discuss these issues, to see the complexity of these issues, and to know that regardless of how complex they are, you're right with us, you walk with us the whole time. Be with us as we go from here. Be with us as we go from here and as we try and actually apply these to us as individuals, as believers, as people who just strive to be one with you and engage in the culture around us. Which, like it or not, we are completely immersed in and part of. In your name, amen. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.